We thank you, this Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it, and they are safe. And so we come to you this morning in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are glorious and that you are good, and you are the shepherding, Abba, Father, comforting God, and that you have spoken to us through the Scripture. You have communicated to us through the Scripture that in the fullness of time, you, Almighty God, became a man, and you were born of a virgin, and you lived a perfect life, and you died on the cross for our sins. You were buried, and you resurrected, and you sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and right now you're praying for your, your people. You're praying for your church, and we stand in awe of your glory and your goodness. So come now, we pray, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of First Peter, uh, Peter's writing to a church in Asia Minor, this general letter, the church that's going to go into a time of persecution very shortly. They're in the midst of persecution. They're going to go to deeper persecution that will last until the year 313. And so this book that deals with uh, these issues of persecution, difficult times, Peter says in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice your salvation... Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so the question is, how do you thrive in times of blessings and how do you survive in difficult times? Life is filled with battles and blessings. So how do you thrive in the blessings and how do you survive with dignity and joy in the difficult times and I think he tells us here in this little clause in chapter 5 verse 10 he just talked about spiritual warfare and how the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to drink us down and he says this in chapter 5 verse 10 and you after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to deal with the first part of this passage this morning. And you, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will confirm and strengthen you. After you suffer for a little while, difficult times come in waves. They last for a while, and then they go away, or they last a long time. So how do you survive? Our, our relationship with the living God carries us through difficult times. It supports us in difficult times. It does not make us immune from difficult times. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
It says that he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with our loved ones. We ourselves will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or in Matthew 7, Jesus says that, that, that when you build your life upon my word and my re- the reality of who I am, when the rains come down and when the streams rise and when the winds blow and beat against your house, it will not crash. He doesn't say if the winds come. Winds are going to beat your house in a fallen world. Waves will rise against your house. The, the, you'll be buffeted but he'll carry you through it as you understand the God of all grace. Or John chapter 16, Jesus says this in verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you're going to have heartbreak, you're going to have devastation, it's going to be tough at times, but I've overcome the world. Look to me. So, so how, how do you thrive and how do you survive? I think it's chapter 5, verse 10. Faith sees us through. It carries us through. He says this, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace. Let me read a quote from 1855. This is, uh, I'll tell you who it is after I read it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified, or as Peter would say, the God of all grace, and the knowledge of the Godhead and the glorious Trinity, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing will so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continual investigation of the great subject of the deity. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go and plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth from a couch of rest, refreshment, and invigoration. That was made by a man named Charles Spurgeon in 1855 when he was 20 years old. (laughs) Okay. Here's a quote by John Calvin. I, I just love this. This is from the first part of the Institutes. I call piety that reverence joined with love for God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. Just stop. Just, wow. I call piety that reverence, that reverence joined with love for God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. Just get that. Get that in your soul. And he says this, for for until man 
recognizes that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that, that he is the author of their every good, they will never yield him wielding service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. Behold the goodness of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you thrive and survive? You get hold of the grace that's found in the God who is glorious. Paul says in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 1 John 5, the end of that book says this, verse 20, and and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, how do you thrive and survive? You get hold of the God of grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, you glory in, in, in the greatness of Christ. And that's why Peter closes the next book he writes, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The grace and the knowledge. Thrive and, 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 and survive. And as I read this, I ask myself, do we really daily get the gospel of grace? Do we really get that it's the God of all grace as we're found in Jesus Christ? In the first chapter of 1 Peter, he says in verse 3, and then verse 13, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and to inherit an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not fade away. Present tense. And he says there's a future orientation, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you the revelation of Jesus. We have tasted the grace, but the glory is coming. Do I get the grace? Do I get the gospel? And I ask that. Let me, let me tell you, I read a book a few months ago. I've been thinking about this. It's on the life of a woman named Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was born in 1670-something. Lived to be 74 years of age. She was born into a godly home. Her, her daddy, this is just, just kind of bear with me here, her daddy was a Puritan, and in uh, 1662, they passed the, the Act of Uniformity, which said if you didn't do everything by the British, by the, by, the, by the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, plus some, you couldn't preach. And so 2,000 godly Puritans said, we are captive to the Word of God, not to the dictates of man. And they were thrown out of their churches. Her daddy was one of them. That's called the great ejection. 2,000 men, boom, gone. Your livelihood, gone, boom. Just, and that was her daddy. So she was born shortly after that, and, and, and she, would have, she would have people come to her home. Listen, this is just, if you like church history, you're going, whoa. She had Richard Baxter and John Owen and Thomas Manton spend the night at her house and eat around her table as a child. That'd be like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Michael Jordan coming. Or if you're into fashion, like uh, Christian Dior and Coco Chanel and TJ Maxx, you know, just all there with you, you know. And, and uh, you know, just an amazing heritage. But at the age of 13, she walked away from what her father believed and became part of the Anglican Church. It must have broken his heart. 13. 
She married a very difficult man who was an Anglican minister. She had 19 children. She buried nine of them before they hit puberty. Um, difficult life, some wild stories. Two of her sons were named John and Charles. Wesley, okay? They go to George's missionaries, have a horrible experience, come back, and two years after getting back, they're converted. They come to know Christ. They, they, they come to know the gospel of grace. And Charles Wesley, just a few months after he was converted, wrote my favorite hymn, And Can It Be? I mean, just a, he's, he's just come to, has come to faith in Christ. May of 1738. Well, long story short, she, she's known as a woman of devout consistency. She has 16 rules for home ruling. And, but at the age of 70, as she sat under the preaching of her son Charles, she experienced a deeper or a first-time understanding of the gospel of grace. She's 70. Her son, Charles, who's a best theologian in the family by far and away, said, he said this is a direct quote, my, my, my mom spent 70 years in the dark night of legalism. I said, are you kidding me? Raised in a godly home where she heard the gospel? She, she wrote to her boys about being true to the scripture and true to faith or true to Jesus, but she didn't really talk about the cross that much in her letters. And he says, she's been, Charles says, she spent 70 years in the dark night of legalism. She didn't get the gospel. That's what he says. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I've just, I've been thinking about that. You know, do we get the gospel of grace? Or, you know, my, one of my favorite, my favorite Puritan, John, John Owen. Died in 1863. John, John Owen graduated from Oxford at the age of 16. Number one in his class. 16. He gave the valedictorian address to his class in Latin. Come on. He gets his master's at the age of 18, and by the age of 26, he's received what we would call two PhDs in systematic theology. And yet, listen to this, Owen doesn't write about himself very much, but this is what happened. He's 26, he goes to church with his cousin, they're a well-known preacher, the, 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 the one of the elders in charge stands up and says, this preacher got sick, he couldn't come, so we've got this country guy coming in to preach. His cousin hits him, they're in the back of the church, says, let's leave, man. And John says, no, let's stay, you know, we're going to hear the word, we'll stay. And John, John says, I was a convinced Calvinist. And as the guy preached the gospel of grace, John Owen's heart was opened. Many people say, that's when he came to faith in Jesus. I said, you're kidding me. He's 26, a double PhD, a convinced Calvinist. I just step back and I say, do I get the gospel of grace? It's looking unto Jesus and him only. It's not my heritage. It's not my degrees. It's not my standing. It is Christ alone. And Peter says, that's why Peter says, you know, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. He says, get the gospel of grace. Get it. Because that gives strength and encouragement and joy for the journey. How do you survive and thrive? You get the gospel of grace. You get it. See, I, th I think there's so much autobiographical stuff buried here. 
Peter's saying, man, look to Jesus. It's all about Christ. For example, in, in Mark chapter 4, you know these stories, but Mark 4, verse 35, says that on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And so they left the crowd, and they took Christ with them in the boat as he was, and the other boats were with them. These were Peter and James and John and Andrew. These are old salts. These are men who have grown up on the sea. These are men who knew more knots than we know, you know, letters. They, they knew it. And this furious storm swept. And it says, But Christ was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's something more than a teacher. I think Peter's saying, you know, when you're in the storm of life, you keep your eyes on Christ. You get the gospel of grace. He's the God of all grace in Christ Jesus. And then another biographical statement in Matthew chapter 14. Verse 28 and following says this, that uh, you know, Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. That's all he could say because he was about to go under. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And I think what Jesus is saying here through the pen of Peter is, you know, when you're on the lake and you see the wind and the waves and you start to go under, you get hold of the God of grace. You get hold of the goodness of God. You get hold of the mercy of the cross. He says, the God of grace in Christ Jesus. Christ is a savior and a mediator. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, he just rehearses the gospel. He says this, know, you are, know that you're ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." The gospel of grace is found only in Christ Jesus. How do you survive and thrive? You get hold of the grace of Christ. You get hold of the gospel every day. You look to Christ. Strange things hit me when I'm studying sometimes. I was studying this passage and thinking through it. And when I was a child, we had a little 
nursery rhyme book of Mother Goose sayings or whatever. And as I was reading this, I remembered a little thing I memorized as a child. Don't ask me why. Little Jack Horner. Remember that? Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie, stuck in his thumb, pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I? I have no idea what that means. I have no, and I, I Googled it. Nobody knows what that means. Somebody said it's about a housing situation in the 16th century England. I said, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that, you know, about graft and corruption in the housing market. I said, you know, that's kind of strange, but I'll look at I mean, and I thought, you know, what a good boy am I? What a good boy am I is, is the theology of everybody except for those who follow the Jesus on the cross. Every world religion is little Jack Horner theology. You prove something, you say, look at me, what a good boy am I. Look at me, look at me, what a good boy am I. The gospel of grace says it's all about the cross. We don't prove ourselves, it's only Jesus. If you want to survive and thrive, you glory in the cross. If, if you want to sink, you go around with little Jack Horner theology. I deserve this. What a good boy am I? We just got back and did some teaching and some mission conferencing stuff. And I was, uh, we led a, a conference for people from India and Bangladesh, and they met in Thailand, and we were there, and before the conference began, I had two days where I was teaching a group of about 20 people the Sermon on the Mount, and just a, some wonderful people, and I, I, was, I was in this class, the last session, and I had to run because I had an appointment with somebody, so we prayed, and uh, we, we prayed over a, a woman who was there who's, uh, I don't know her age, my mom and daddy told me you never ask a woman her age if she's over 20. So uh, she was over 20. She was, um, uh, she's a medical doctor, served in the Navy, and then for 25 years as a single woman has been a medical missionary to women's clinics in places like particularly Pakistan and Bangladesh, hard places. Hard, small, gracious woman, 25 years. And, and, and I, I, I left there and I was running out the room. I was going to barely make my appointment. And outside of where we're meeting in the foyer of this conference center, there are some tables set up for a conference. But before the conference began for another group, there were some saffron-clad monks, Buddhist monks, eating at a table. And there were about eight Thai people on their knees around them earning merit. See, you earn merit by giving to monks. So you just earn merit. And I thought... I'm leaving these people who are serving in the name of Jesus, the gospel of grace, and are in smack into little Jack Horner theology. It's all about what I can do to earn the merit of God. And, and the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's nothing you have done. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no man can boast. Now, we're his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good work, but, but, but the good works are a response to grace. They don't earn it. We glory in the gospel of grace. And then we did this conference, and some of our people, they just did so wonderfully, worked so hard. And there's a family there, and she gave a testimony about how God had worked in their hearts. They're church planters in, in, in Bangladesh. And... Uh, 
and they have two children, and God is using them. But uh, she just was very sick, and they couldn't find it. She finally got some very good medical help, and she had some parasites that has caused destruction to her body. She's on a special dietary regimen now, and the same thing happened to her children. Small children. Her little boy's five. When he was three, he was at the top of the growth chart. Now he's in the bottom 20 percentile because of intestinal issues. And you say, well, why are they there? Are they there to earn merit? They're there because God has called them to represent the gospel of grace in Bangladesh. That's why. It's not about merit. When you see the cross, it's about rejoicing the goodness of God. Spoke to one of our Barnabas partners in Tunisia, delightful family. And they were, they have two children they've adopted from Ethiopia. And they were saying it's very interesting being in Tunisia because in, in the Arab culture, you do not adopt. It's a non-adopting culture. And, so, and, and if you adopt, it shows that you have seriously earned favor with Allah. And she said, people give us a free pass all the time because we've adopted these children. Obviously, they're not, they're, they're Ethiopian who are Anglos and said, they said, you've adopted these. He said, yes. Said, they said, you must have an inside track with Allah. Please, please. You're his favored one. And he said, you know, the only way to be on the inside track with the living God is through the cross of Jesus. Get hold of the gospel of grace. Get hold of the grace that's found in Christ. And he says this, he's, he's called you. He's called you to his eternal glory. He's called you. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, to the elect exiles scattered all over Asia Minor. Elect exiles. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, you're a, a holy people, a royal nation, a, a people belonging to God. He's called you unto himself. When God calls us, he gives us sight. He opens our hearts to see the glory of the cross. Jesus stood on the hillside and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he said the same thing to every child of grace. God calls, we trust him because he calls us. It is mighty, it is glorious, it is irresistible, it is life-saving, it is eternal. Get hold of it. Get hold of the gospel of grace. Tell it to other people. The old confessions of faith says God calls us by his word and by his spirit. We preach it. We teach it. We have VBS. We have neighborhood Bible studies, but God has to open eyes. Ephesians 2 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, God made you alive in Jesus. You were zombies. You were catatonic. God spoke. Get hold of the gospel of grace. That's how we thrive and survive. He says he calls us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Eternal glory. Eternal. Um, we, we were in Thailand for this missions conference. We rented a car for a few days. Been to Thailand a number of times. Driving in Thailand is crazy. I mean, people drive horrendously. I mean, really, it is. They pass you on blind curves. They pass you over the brow of the fields. They, 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 they do everything. And you're, it's, it's crazy. 
there are five million motorcycles everywhere you turn. They're weaving in and out of traffic. They're cutting in front of you, and uh, it's crazy. And I was reading a book just a few months ago. I just picked up a book. I was reading a book on, on, on Thailand, the Buddhist country. And, 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 and just in a passing statement, and I thought, man, this man has merit. I think that's something. That's, in a passing statement, he says, you know, traffic fatalities in Thailand are astronomical. And then he said this. I want you to hear me. He said, if your worldview is that if you die, you come back reincarnated in another life form, then death does not have the finality it has to the Western mind. Therefore, they can be more, for lack of a better word, carefree about their driving. You think about that. And I went, wow, wow. There may be some truth to that. That if, if, if I believe that death Either I'm going to be reincarnated or just kind of snuffed out, and there's no eternity of heaven or hell. He says his eternal glory is eternal. If I have that mindset, then I can be a little bit loose and casual and not as committed to the beauty of life, the, the worth of, of one person. Eternal glory, get hold of the gospel. A poem that I quote frequently at funerals is by a guy named John Donne, an Anglican pastor who wrote a poem called Death Be Not Proud. Death be not proud, though many have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me. For one short sleep, and wake, we wake up eternally, and death thou shalt die. Now listen, John Donne knew Jesus. He knew the gospel of grace. What he says is this, death, don't be proud, because even though many call you mighty and dreadful, I know it is not true. For, for those whom you think you overthrow, die not, poor death, because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never, ever die. And one short sleep, boom, we wake up in the presence of God. But listen to me. If you're not in Christ, death is mighty and dreadful. Death is horrible. It is mighty and dreadful. Because there's an eternity of separation from God that awaits you. But for those of us who are His... We live, we, we live with the Lord. Now that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He says, you know, th th there, there, was, there was a lifelong slavery because we were subject to the fear of death. We didn't know. He says, you know, before Christ, people were going, well, maybe. But the Lamb of God says, yes. He is our sin-bearing Savior. He died on the cross for our sins. He is the covering of the judgment that should fall upon us. 
on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. How do you survive and thrive? How do you thrive in the good times? You remember the gospel of grace. You get up every day and you put on the Christian armor. You put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. How do you survive in the difficult times of life that we will all experience? Answer, you remember the gospel of grace. You remember that eternal glory awaits. You remember that after we've suffered for a little while, God will establish and confirm and strengthen us. That's what Peter's saying. That's what we need to hear. Let's pray. Lord, for this day, we are thankful. And for your tender mercies, we are thankful. Uh, For the fact that you are actively walking among us by the Holy Spirit, calling people unto yourself, we are thankful. God, we repent of walking around saying, what a good boy am I. We repent of earning merit with you. God, the cross has done it all. And we ask that you would give us a deep appreciation, love, and embrace of the gospel of grace. And Lord, as we do that, I pray we would thrive and we would survive in difficult times with joy and dignity. I I just, I thank you for the gospel of grace. I, I just thank you that Peter, in telling these people how to live it out, just says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will do this. So do that in our lives, Lord. Let us love the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.